Grace and peace to you. We are back in Thessalonians today. Uh, Paul is near the end of his second letter to these believers. And he begins this passage, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be honored, or speed ahead and be honored. Paul's concern uh, was not mainly about his comfort, his prosperity, his popularity, but about the success of the word of the Lord. His one goal at any cost to himself was to get this message out and that this message would be honored and lifted up. He said, I consider my life of no value to me if only I may finish my course and complete my ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That was what Paul cared about. And we all have things that we care about. We have our kids, our work, our homes, uh, our everyday responsibilities, and we should care about those things. But far, far above those things, we must care about the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord. We must care about the word of the Lord that it would speed ahead and be honored or held high or exalted. Uh, we can't let our lives shrink down to the worries and cares of everyday life. Jesus said it's the cares of this life that choke the word and make it unfruitful. Paul said it's the affairs of everyday life that keep people from being good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So this word of the Lord, its success, its fruitfulness in people's lives needs to become our passion and our priority. And that's true for every one of us and that's true for us as a church. We need to care about the word of the Lord being honored and being fruitful and being successful. So Paul urges the Thessalonians to pray for him that the Lord's message might go out with speed and success. We aren't Paul. God doesn't expect us to be, but we all can pray and we all should pray for the word of the Lord to prosper and to be honored. Uh, we can pray for those who are called to be on the front lines of preaching the word. And we can pray that the word of the Lord would be spoken clearly and boldly and would be accompanied with power and that people would respond and be transformed. Paul asked them to pray because Paul truly believed prayer made a difference. If you look at some of his prayers, he asked people to pray that he would be able to have the words even to speak the gospel. He prayed that he would have the boldness that he needed. He prayed that he would have the clear thinking in order to make the mystery of the gospel clear to people. He believed prayer made a difference in whether the Lord went forth with, with speed and whether it was honored or glorified or lifted up or not. Paul's confidence was never in human plans or programs, certainly not in his own personality, but in the Lord working through the prayers of his people. And so he repeatedly 
in his letters ask the churches and the believers in the churches to pray for him. I love just that simple, straightforward phrase, brothers, pray for us. Here in this passage, of course, as we said, he asks them to pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, or New American Standard says spread rapidly, literally to run. He wants as many as possible, as quickly as possible, to hear and respond to the word of the Lord. Last year, my granddaughter Sabrina posted a video on Instagram that blew up to over 6 million views. 6.2 million I saw yesterday. Well, that's something like what Paul is asking them to pray would happen with the word of God, with the word of the Lord, that it would explode all across the world and be effective in people's lives. And he asks them to pray that the word of the Lord would be honored or uh, some translations say to be held in honor or to be received with honor. That, that people would see the glory and the power of the word. And Paul adds this phrase, as happened among you, which I think helps us understand what he means by being, hel- being, being honored. Uh, what happened among the Thessalonians? Paul said they received the word of God, not as a human word, but as the word of God. They received it for what it really is, the word of God. They they honored the word. Uh, They held it high, and they turned from idols to serve the living God. It made a huge impact in their lives because they saw it as the holy, glorious, powerful word of God. The word of God... The word of the Lord, the phrase that Paul uses here, the word of the Lord will not bear fruit in people's lives unless it is honored. Spiritual indifference and unchanged lives always indicate that a person has not received the word with honor. And we need to pray that the word would be honored, loved, and lifted high right here at Real Life Church. We can... Uh, teach and preach week after week, even year after year. But unless the word of the Lord comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, unless it is honored, unless it is uh, endued with power by the Holy Spirit, not much is going to happen. Uh, As Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, the workers labor in vain. And even preachers, even people that teach and preach the word of God, if, if, they, if they just do it without the Lord accomplishing his work, nothing much will happen. So we need to pray. We, this should be, should be a regular prayer. I, I, I would hope that many of us here would or would begin to pray every week about the word being taught and preached, proclaimed here, uh, that it would be honored, that it would have great effect, that it would be lifted high and regarded as, as God's word, word and regarded as something glorious and to be received humbly and sincerely. But what is the word of the Lord? We talked quite a bit the last few Sundays that I taught about the day of the Lord and I was, I was captivated by this phrase, the word of the Lord. Well, of course, it is the full message about Jesus. 
but we tend to abbreviate the gospel to Jesus died for our sins, believe in him so you can go to heaven. And that's true. But it is so much more. And so this morning, I will not exhaust the meaning of the phrase, the word of the Lord. But I'm going to share four key parts or four key elements of the word of the Lord that particularly I see the, the apostles preaching through uh, the book of Acts and the examples that we actually have of what they emphasized when they preached the word of the Lord. First, the word of the Lord that Paul preached was that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one. And every city he went, including Thessalonica and, and all these other towns, uh, he went to the synagogues and he said, this Jesus that I am proclaiming to you is the Christ or is the Messiah. That means that Jesus is God's anointed king. He's the promised savior of Israel. And that was Peter's message too in his sermon in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, he said, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In Romans 1, Paul introduced uh, that book by saying, here he, he called his message at the beginning of Romans, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What did the prophets promise? Well, much of what they promised and spoke of was a Messiah. The prophets promised the Messiah is coming who will save and deliver and rule over his people. Uh, he will usher in a coming kingdom of a kingdom of joy and peace, of health, restored health, and prosperity. Uh, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. There will be eating and drinking with great joy in the presence of God. These are the kinds of things that the prophet spoke over and over about, the, 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 the kind of kingdom that the Messiah would bring in. Well, the apostles came on the scene and they, they preached that Jesus is that king and he will rule and reign over his father's kingdom. And I found it extremely interesting that one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified, the last supper, he said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus looked forward to that day when his disciples and, and those who believe in him we will sit down with him and eat and drink with great joy in the Father's kingdom. And the word of the Lord is that Jesus is the king and he will usher in a new kingdom, the Father's kingdom. Jesus is the Messiah that the prophets spoke about and promised would come. Second, the second aspect or element of the word of the Lord is that the word of the Lord is that first, Jesus, our Messiah, must suffer and die for our sins. Acts 17, 3. Uh, Paul reasoned with them from the scripture. He went into the synagogue, as I said before. He went into the places of worship and in Acts 17.3, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving 
that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Acts 17.3. In other words, Jesus is all that the Old Testament prophets foretold. He will fulfill all the prophecies of the kingdom. He is the Messiah, but first he had to suffer and die. He had to first redeem us from our sins. And Paul said, this is of first importance that Christ died for our sins. Revelation 1.7 says, He loved us and released us from our sins through his blood. A gospel message that does not deal with our sin problem is no gospel message at all. A gospel message that says that merely says God loves you or God is for you or God thinks you're amazing is not the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this forgiveness of sins had a purpose. Peter said for, for Christ, and the word Christ is, really, really means Messiah, the anointed one. For Christ, Jesus Christ, also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Uh, of course, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus died for our sins so that we can, so that we can feel clean, so that we can have a, a clean conscience, a conscience that is free from condemnation and shame. But ultimately, Christ died for you to bring you near to God so that you can come right up close to God, so that you can be accepted into God's presence and live with him in his kingdom, the kingdom of God forever. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in him, we may enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. So the word of the Lord is that the Messiah had to suffer and die to remove our sins and to prepare us to live in God's presence or to bring us to God. Third, the word of the Lord is the amazing secret that Gentiles like us can come into the household of God. This is an aspect of the gospel message, the word of the Lord, that I think we either don't know about or or appreciate, but it was very much a part of the New Testament gospel that the apostles preached. This is something that was a, it's called a mystery, or something that was hidden or not fully revealed, but it was, it was made manifest or it was revealed in Christ that Gentiles like us can come into the household of God. We take salvation like we are entitled to it. To it. Uh, excuse me. We take salvation like we are entitled to it or like it is owed to us. Uh, it is not. And at one time, we were excluded from it. And Paul t- goes to great length in the book of Ephesians to explain how hopeless our situation as Gentiles was. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about us. 
Gentiles, non-Jews. Israel had the promises. We Gentiles were not a part of the blessings of Israel. And there were, I'm not going to go into it, but yes, there were ways that, that Gentiles could uh, be saved in, in the Old, Old Testament. But generally, salvation belonged to the Jews, and Gentiles were not a part of that. But now in Christ, the, the new word of the Lord that the apostles preached is something new and wonderful. Verse 13 But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, who was far off and without hope? Gentiles. People like us, people in America. Generally, most, most of the world. Everyone who is not a Jew. The word of the Lord was that a massive influx of Gentiles would be coming into the kingdom of God. And that was hinted at in the prophets, but now that promise, that mystery has been revealed now. And Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. The kingdom of God has been burst open for us Gentiles through Jesus. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, the mystery which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. That was big news. Big news that the apostles and the prophets preached and proclaimed. It's great news. In Ephesians 2, 18 through 21, Paul reiterates this same thing. So then you, Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the word of the Lord is that Gentiles are now welcomed into this special status of God's people through repentance and faith in Jesus, in the Messiah. We become part of the holy nation uh, we partake in the promises made uh, to the patriarchs, made to Israel, Paul said. We are like a branch grafted in in Romans 15. Paul talks about this at length in Romans chapter 15. We are like a branch grafted in. You, like a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others to share in the nourishment of the olive root, which, is, which he's talking about Israel there, of course. We've been grafted in. We've, we, we get to partake of all these wonderful uh, promises. Uh, praise God, we're not excluded any longer. And that's why Paul said in Romans 15, as it is written, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, I say rejoice, or excuse me, again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Paul wants us to be thrilled that we are included with God's people and included in God's promises fourth the word of the lord is that the day of the lord is coming the message the apostles preached is that jesus is risen and will appear again from heaven to judge the world and save those who belong to him it was a core part of what the apostles preached 
when Paul preached the gospel to Felix in Acts 24, 25, he reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. That was a part of the message. They talked about the coming judgment. When, he preached, when Paul preached the word to the Athenians, he said, God calls all men everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof to of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So the word of the Lord is that all men will stand before the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of the Lord is repent and believe this good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ. And for those who do repent and believe the good news, Jesus will come to gather us to himself. We've been talking about this because it's all throughout First and Second Thessalonians. He will come to gather us to himself uh, to s- save us from the wrath to come, to resurrect our bodies, to raise us up, to live with him, and to rule and reign with him in the coming kingdom. And Paul taught the Thessalonians about the day of the Lord, the appearing of Jesus, among the very first things of the gospel. If we look at the account in Acts, he was, he was there at least, apparently, perhaps only three weeks, and they knew all kinds of things about the day of the Lord because he taught them that. And he taught them to wait eagerly for his coming again, for his appearing. You know, somehow, and I think about all of this, all of this that, that the word of the Lord means and there are other things we could, we could go into. Um, but when I think about this, somehow we have managed to shrink the gospel into a self-help message, mainly about this life and our success or, fu- or fulfillment in it, here and now. And that keeps our, our eyes inwardly focused. It keeps our eyes glued on ourselves our present situation, our present problems. And it's, it's just not anywhere near the complete, full, true message of the word of the Lord. You can't, and you can't reduce the gospel to a sound bite. He gets us. Or Jesus wants to be your friend. Or having Jesus means your best life now. No, it is so much bigger than that. The word of the Lord proclaims an eternal program that literally solves every problem of the world. It solves our alienation from God. It removes all our condemnation for our sins. It brings us into peace with God, into the love of God. It delivers us from the coming wrath and judgment. It prepares us for a future kingdom where we will live in resurrected bodies and reign with Christ forever. It promises a life without end in a world without end, a world of safety and joy and glory and the riches of God's kindness throughout all eternity. That's the word of the Lord. And we receive all this as a gift through faith in Jesus. 
This is the word of the Lord that Paul asks us to pray for, that it would speed ahead and be honored. Then Paul goes on, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul wants prayer that he would be delivered from his enemies so he could keep on preaching this message, so that he would not be hindered by these opponents from getting this message out. He, again, he wants the message to spread to as many people as possible and to be honored and lifted up and to be exalted. And there are people who don't want that to happen. There are people who oppose that. They're, as he said, not all have faith, not all believe. Some oppose the word of the Lord. Some hate the word of the Lord. Sometimes opposition comes from governments like in China and all the nations where Islam uh, dominates. We took a time in our life group where we went through uh, different persecuted persecution around the world, different nations that were persecuted. And in almost every case, the worst persecution for believers was coming in those countries where the Islam religion dominates. Sometimes it comes from false teachers within the church. Sometimes it comes from divisive people inside or out of the church. But the bottom line is Getting the message out is hard. Uh, ministry is hard. There's lots of things and lots of people that would like to hinder it and get in, get in the way of the word of the Lord getting out. And so Paul prays that he would be delivered from wicked and evil men. Brothers, pray for us. And we, right here at Real Life Church, we, we need prayer. We do. We need prayer to do the work of the Lord. We need prayer to teach and preach the word of the Lord. We need that badly. We need it right here. And there's nothing automatic or easy about getting the word of the Lord out. And nothing lasting or life-changing will happen here uh, without prayer, without you guys praying, without Josh and me praying, without all of us praying earnestly. These same things that Paul asked the Thessalonians to pray. Verse three, but the, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish, or uh, some other, the New American Standard says strengthen. He will strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. I mean, Paul assumes that the evil one, Satan, will attack the Thessalonians, but he expresses confidence in the Lord to strengthen them and protect them. In all the dangers and drama of your life, God is faithful, and he will deliver you from evil. He will protect you. He will strengthen you in the midst of whatever you go through, and he will turn everything to your good, no matter how evil it feels or appears or is. He will turn all of that to your good. He will strengthen, establish you, make you stand and guard you from the enemy, the evil one, having any uh, permanent, lasting, detrimental effect on your life. He will, he will work all for your good. Chesterton said, uh, Jesus promised his disciples three things. 
that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. And we, we are in constant trouble uh, because the evil one is against us. And life can get pretty rough, can't it? Uh, our journey is a hazardous one. There's a phrase from uh, Carm, one of us, an old song by Carmen that says, that for some reason it always really s- struck me. I just thought it was pretty powerful. Uh, the road has been a long one. It's always been a fight. But God had my back deep into the night. So Paul turns their attention to the Lord's faithfulness to protect them and strengthen them. Yeah, the road's long. It's always been a fight. But, but God had my back deep into the night. So we do acknowledge that our life is full of problems. Uh, We do acknowledge our problems, our pain, and evil things done to us by evil people or by Satan himself. But we can never, ever stop there. Some Christians, and I don't say this judgmentally really or to condemn anyone, but to try to awaken us and try to help us out of this. But some Christians can talk about their problems so eloquently. I mean, if you ask them to talk about their problems, man, they're... they're, they're They come to life, and they can just rattle off their problems. I mean, they have got their problems and troubles down pat. They know the speech, and they play it over and over in their mind. It's obvious, and that's what they talk about with others. But they don't move on to the Lord's faithfulness. They don't get to the part where it says, but the Lord is faithful who will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. So we can never stop with the problem. We can never end the conversation about how tough our life is. We must move on with faith and confidence in the Lord's faithfulness and goodness and his power to protect us and deliver us. You know, just a word of wisdom. Listen to how you talk. You know, some sometime... Just stop to listen to what you're saying to other people, how you're talking. Could, could be real enlightening. And we need to talk like Paul talked. He's, he, 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 he knew the evil one would be after them. He knew they'd be under attack. He knew they would suffer more persecution and troubles. But he turns their attention to the Lord. And we've got to end, we've always got to end with the Lord. Not, not with our situation, not with our problem. Third, Paul expressed confidence that, that they will live and act in obedience to the Lord and will continue to do so. And this is a rather amazing verse because honestly, I don't think we think like this about other believers. We, we, we tend to think, oh, they're not going to make it. We, we tend to uh, not have hope for people. Paul did not talk that way here. And I, you know, we have to be realistic. I'm not, I'm not talking about denying what's really going on and when there's real problems in people's lives. I'm not talking about that. But listen to how Paul talked to these believers. 
Verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul knows the weakness of people, but he is confident in the Lord to keep them going, to keep them on the path of obedience. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we, we need to talk to each other and about each other that way. We should express this confidence in one another too. And again, I'm not saying that we should deny where there's real you know, sin problems or issues that need to be dealt with. There's a time to admonish and warn, time to correct. But we should also express confidence that our brothers and sisters are going to make it and do well and continue to obey And if we don't think and speak like this, we're really showing that we don't have confidence in the Lord's work in people. In 1 John, the Apostle John said, the word of the Lord is like a seed planted in you, and that seed will keep you from continuing on in sin. In other words, that that seed, the Holy Spirit, the new birth, that thing that God does in you, that new life that God puts in you, it will change your life. And Paul had confidence that that would happen. Well, in this case, John had confidence too. So when that seed of, seed of God, when God's seed has been planted in a person, be confident um, in that. Be confident in it to do its work. Be confident in that power to work within you and within, within your wife or your husband or your children, and your fellow believers. I know a wife who constantly told her husband that he wasn't born again. Just, that's, that was just her confidence that she expressed in him, that you're not born again. Told him that over and over again. Um, if that was the case, that, that's not the way to get anybody saved. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, I didn't think it was the case, but it was, it was just devastating to have a spouse uh, constantly telling you you're not going to make it, you're, you're a terrible person, you're not born again. I know of parents who basically told one of their kids the same thing, you're not going to make it, you're not doing good, you're, you're probably not born again. And obviously, again, that could be the case, but uh, in these situations, it was devastating uh, to, those, to those people involved. Expressing confidence in someone to continue is not rooted in them, but it's rooted in the Lord's keeping power. And so we need to le- learn to speak like this to one another. Uh, Paul said, love believes all things and hopes all things. It talks hopefully about other people. Um, and where, especially where there's, you know, any evidence that there's been the new birth where, where the seed of God has been put in someone, uh, we, we're patient and hopeful and we speak that way about other believers. It makes a lot of difference how you deal with your kids, uh, how we talk about with each other in the body of Christ. It really does. 
Um, so, yeah. May, may the Lord help us to do that. Then Paul prays for them in verse five. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. I think, I think that's, that's New American Standard. I think the ESV says to the love of God. Same thing. And I'm gonna start with that. Uh, those who believe the message, Christians, us, you, if you know the Lord, you are loved by God in a special way, in a very special way. Behold, what kind of love is this, that we should be called the children of God? And just in chapter two, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul addressed these believers at Thessalonica like this. He said he called them brothers loved of God. That's who you are. You are brothers and sisters loved of God. You are a people loved of God. But now he prays, may the Lord direct your, your hearts, your inner beings and affections. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. So we can have the information that God loves us, and that's important, but Paul wants our hearts to be moved into the full experience of God's love. Christ came into the world and gave his life that we might know and enjoy God's love. Uh, And your life is all about what's going on in your heart. You know, really, in one sense, uh, outward circumstances really do not define you. What you have or don't have does not define you. Your success or failure Uh, riches or poverty, those things do not define you. What defines you is what is going on in your heart. Uh, Proverbs says, uh, out of the heart, or out of your heart, flow the issues of life. And it's so important for our hearts to be moved into, turned toward the love of God. And to live there, and to live in that kind of place where we are enjoying and aware of and experiencing the love of God. Psalm 37, or 31.7 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Psalm 90.14, oh satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's love is what fuels our joy. God's love nourishes and feeds the deepest needs of our inner person. And only, only God's love can meet the vast inner needs of your heart and my heart. Only the love of God can truly satisfy. That's why he says, satisfy us with your loving kindness. Nothing else will do. Satisfy us with your loving kindness in the morning. So we need to pray that for one another, that the Lord would direct our hearts into the love of God. Next he prays that the Lord, or finally he prays that the the Lord would direct their hearts into the perseverance or the steadfastness of Christ in verse five. He's praying that they would have endurance. He's praying that they would be steadfast, that they would stand firm, that they would have the same kind of endurance that Jesus Christ 
had, that the steadfastness of Christ, uh, some commentators feel like he's praying for them to have the, the kind of endurance that Jesus Christ showed in his trials and suffering, even to the point of death on a cross. Christ was steadfast. He, he drank the cup that the Father gave him. He endured. And Paul, Paul is saying we should, he's praying for these believers at Thessalonica that they would have that same kind of perseverance uh, resolve to be true to the Lord, steadfast. He wants them to stand firm. And so we need to pray that for each other too. So I'm going to close by just asking you to do this. Uh, would you would you pray for the preaching and teaching of the word to be clear and powerful? In other churches, in any and every setting, all around the world, but would you pray for the word of the Lord to be clear and powerful here at Real Life Church? Would you do that? You know, when we gather for our church, our prayer meeting that we have once a month as a church, I mean, we, it's really important to pray for, for one another and needs and issues and for healing and everything else, but you know, we need to pray for the, for the success of the word of the Lord and for the work of the Lord. It needs to be something that we care deeply about that God's word would be honored and held up. So would you pray for the message of the Lord to be honored and glorified and lifted high and loved by those who hear it right, right here at Real Life Church? Secondly, would you pray for your brothers and sisters here that their, their hearts would be directed into the love of God, that they would experience the fullness of God's love? And there's beautiful prayer in Ephesians, 3 about, Ephesians chapter 3 about that, that God would open the eyes of our hearts so we'd be able to comprehend, to know the love of Christ, to understand it's, you know, how high it is, how deep it is, how wide it is. It's something we need to pray for each other because that's what fuels our Christian life. That's what fuels our passion to serve Jesus and to love one another. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we need, we need to live in that and to enjoy that, to, be, to just be full of that. And that's, that's what's gonna make, make this whole thing work. So, so pray for one another that we would have the full experience and live in, our hearts would live in that place of the full experience of God's love. And then finally, would you pray for one another that we would stand firm, that we would be, that every, every person here, every boy, girl, young person, um, old people too, that we would stand firm and be steadfast, that we would not be moved by our trials and suffering, that we would endure, that we'd persevere, that we'd endure to the end uh, no matter what happens in our lives. And that's something we should pray for one another too. Those three things I would, would ask us as a church that we would uh, begin to uh, pray faithfully and earnestly for each other. All right, let's stand and pray. We are gonna have the Lord's Supper, so remain um, after I close in prayer.